Welcome to the Simple Faith Podcast, exploring authentic Christianity for normal people. My name is Dave Betts, and together with my wife, Shereya, we're going to explore all the things that make our faith what it is. From looking at the big picture of the Bible to exploring the tough questions that might be getting in the way of your relationship with God. We're not going to use unnecessarily churchy language, and we're not pretending that we have all the answers. And the best bit? We'll never take more than 30 minutes of your time each week. We want to keep it simple and hopefully have some fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. In this week's episode, we take a look at Hebrew poetry, the Old Testament poetry books, and even take part in a poetry competition. Welcome back to episode five of the Simple Faith podcast. Did you know, apparently the average podcast lasts maybe six or seven episodes. So statistically, we're going to die in two episodes. But I think, I think we're going to keep going. We've got a few episodes planned, like we say. And we've moved. We made a drastic move from our spare room to our living room. And hopefully this will work out a lot better. It's certainly a lot more comfortable. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) A lot more space. Comfy Mm. chairs. Exactly. Shreya, talk to us about communication because communication can be hard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it can. I think, I mean, anyone can relate to even in families, in marriage, um, even between friends, communication can sometimes be hard. And if you add on top of that, um, like with us, a different, like being from different countries, that can just add the difficulty because, you know, different words mean different things sometimes. Um, for us, like little things like maybe cart and trolley or pants and trousers. You should tell us about the, the cart and trolley thing because that's a specific real oh. hurtful one for you. Isn't it? <laughs> you really care about that one. Yes. Well, I, I mean, I worked at a job where we used um, like carts a lot where we would transfer food. Um, and when I was in the UK and they just could not handle me calling it a cart. I had to call it a trolley. And that just is painful for me. But anyways. (laughs) Yeah. Communication can be really tough when you have those kind of international cultural expectations that you don't realize are things. You know, we all know that North America and the UK, there's differences in things like pants and trousers and (laughs) uh, jumpers and sweaters and all those kinds of things. Uh, But there's other other things that are much more subtle that you, you don't realize. For example... Um, I remember when we were living in, in England, we lived in England for about 18 months, a bit more than that, actually 20 months. And uh, there was this place called Wagamama's. Now, if you're British, you know all about Wagamama's, I'm sure. And I remember Sharia really enjoying it. And uh, a few months after we went for the first time, she was like, Dave, can we go to Ugamummies? <laughs> like, no, Sharia, that's, that's not what it's called. It's not called Ugamummies, but... But it's close enough. Yeah, and we've all been there though. I, I've had a few embarrassing ones myself. Yeah, I mean, even when Dave came to Canada, uh, instead of you know saying he would write that down in the calendar, he would say, "I'll put that in the diary." And if you if you're Canadian or even from the states, you you know that a diary is something that like a teenage girl writes in. It's it's not the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, just little differences like that. But yeah. Well, here's the thing though. When we're talking about living in the same time in you know a pretty globalized world where our understanding of things are the same. Shreya and I grew up, you know, very different worlds, but 
we still know the same TV shows and mu music and uh, we have a lot of the same cultural norms. Now, what we have to remember is that when we read the Bible, we're talking about all those kind of differences in, in uh, culture, but way more. There's also giant leaps of time, you know, like leaps of like a thousand years plus in, in time. There's changes in customs. There's uh, we're reading, don't forget, we're reading translations from a different language. You know, originally the Bible was in Hebrew and Greek and then a little bit of Aramaic. And that makes things really difficult to uh, to recognize what's going on in the Bible yeah. sometimes. So if you felt like you opened the Bible and read it and thought, what is that about? We we totally get it because it's it's tough and we are still wrestling with that today. I think part of our journey as Christians, the older we get, the more mature in our faith we get, is still just wrestling with some of those cultural norms that can confuse things. So with that in mind, today we're going to look at Hebrew poetry. Um, we're going to take a look at the, the poetic books. We're going to figure out what Hebrew poetry is and why is it so important that we have some kind of understanding of it and uh, hopefully have some fun along the way. Yeah. So let's go. When you think of Hebrew poetry, if you're anything like me, the word poetry might freak you out. See, I don't love poetry. I had some fairly unenjoyable experiences with poetry as uh, a GCSE or high school student. Didn't love it. Wasn't great. Found it pretentious. Found it sometimes a bit cringy. And I'm just not into that. You know, I just, I'm just not into poetry. Songwriting, yeah, I can get behind that because there's music and singing and stuff like that. But just reading poetry, spoken words, I've got to be honest, I am not into spoken words. Now, some of you are, and that's fantastic. But if you're not like me, that's okay. The problem is you might roll your eyes at the thought of Hebrew poetry. And I, I totally get that, but I want to implore you. Hebrew poetry is so important. Yeah, I mean, even for me, when I read my Bible, I am not really thinking about the poetry. Um, it's easy to forget about it or forget why it matters, but it does matter because it fills over a third of the Bible. So if you want to put that into perspective, every single book of the Bible, except for Nehemiah, Esther, Haggai, and Malachi, contains at least some form of Hebrew poetry. So it's really important to understand what it is or how to find it. Um, so what is Hebrew poetry? How do you see it in your Bible? Yeah, there is a, a simple answer and a slightly more, um, I don't complex answer, I suppose. The simple answer is, if you open your Bible, you could probably do it right now. If you pause this podcast and found your Bible and you found any indentations, well, you're, you're looking at Hebrew poetry. Uh, certainly in the Old Testament, I, in the New Testament, obviously we're talking uh, Greek as well, but there's still very much a Hebrew culture there. Uh, and that can be as early as Genesis 1, uh, 27, you know, where it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's the first kind of instance of Hebrew poetry that we have. That's the simple answer. The more challenging answer is that it, it's, it's, it's complicated. You see, you know that we are reading a translation of the original word of God. So our Bibles in English 
are not the inspired word of God. We need to understand that. Our Bibles in English are not the inspired word of God, but they are translations of the divinely inspired word of God. They're translations of the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And that means we're reading a translation of poetry. So it can be hard to discern those things. And the translators, the people who translated these Bibles, made a choice because we can't see it in the original Hebrew, they decided to indent it to give us an indication that we're reading poetry rather than, than prose. But this gets tricky too. So there's, there's one example in particular. In the, in the book of Isaiah, the New American Bible, the revised edition of it, translates Isaiah 4, 2 to 6 as poetry, while the English Standard Version, the ESV, says it's, it's prose. So not even all translators agree. There's a few characteristics that they look for that we're going to uh, talk about in a little bit. Uh, but not even all translators necessarily agree on what constitutes poetry and prose at yeah. all times. But the big question is, why does that even matter? Why does it matter that it's Hebrew poetry or not Hebrew poetry? Well, one reason why it matters is because it can help us understand the intent behind the passage that we're reading. So, for example, um, if we read Judges 5 verse 4, um, we can see that the poetry in there, it's, it's obvious that we don't take it literally. So I'm going to read that so you can see what I mean. So Judges 5 verse 4. Lord, when you came from Seir, when you marched from the fields of Edom, the earth trembled, the skies poured rain, and the clouds poured water. The mountains melted before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. Yeah, I mean, I think you included verse 5 there as well. But look at verse 5, that the mountains melted before the Lord. Now, if you are someone who takes the Bible literally at all times, you might think, oh no, the mountains melted. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do? Now, let's be real. The mountains did not literally melt. No. Okay, when, when Jesus says that he is the door, he is not literally a door. He's not literally a vine. They're using like uh, poetic language to describe uh, features, realities of, of uh, who God is. So in this example, you know, when you came from Seir, when you marched from the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the skies poured rain and the clouds poured water and the mountains melted before the Lord. What's he saying? Well, he's saying that God is so powerful that all creation <laughs> is bows before him, essentially. And even that is using figurative language. So why use Hebrew poetry? Well, if I get over myself and think about English poetry, it's full of the most beautiful descriptions and uh, figurative language and metaphors. And Hebrew poetry is the same. It can express rich emotion and paint vivid pictures through metaphor and simile that standard descriptive prose writing just, just can't. Did you know there are some passages in the Bible that describe the same events with both prose and poetry. So Exodus 14 and 15 and Judges 4 and 5 are two good examples where the first chapter describes it as prose and the second chapter describes it in, in uh, poetry form. So let's look at Exodus 14. I want to give credit here to uh, Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project who describes this so well. So let's read Exodus 14. Trey, would you mind reading Exodus 14 there? Yeah, for sure. Exodus 14, uh, starting at 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. 
And then from verse 27. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So that's really descriptive. It's, it's taking a few verses to describe exactly what happened as, as Moses crosses the Red Sea with the Egyptians and the Pharaoh is there and all that stuff that's going on. It's very descriptive and it's, it's awesome to read. But listen to the same passage, but with Hebrew poetry in verse 8 of chapter 15. Listen to this. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Isn't that an amazing picture? And, and it is just that. It's a picture. It's not literal. At the blast of your nostrils, talking to God, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the hearts of the sea. What an amazing uh, picture that is. So in the next section, we're going to talk about different types of Hebrew poetry, what it is that we're looking out for. And then we'll blast through each of the books in the Old Testament poetry section. Yeah. <laughs> in the last part, we talked about what Hebrew poetry is and why it matters but how do we look for types of hebrew poetry what kind of identifying features are we looking for well in english poetry we're often looking for rhyming words now not all poetry we know that but we often look for rhymes don't we so i might be i went to the shop to buy a book but I stood there for ages to take a look. I don't know, something like, something like that. You know, we look, we look for the rhyme at the end. And there's also that sense of, of rhythm, you know, where it's like da-da, 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 da-da. I believe that's called iambic pentameter, but I don't really know. So you might have to tell me. Like I said, I'm not super into poetry. But the thing that we have to understand with Hebrew poetry is that it doesn't work like that. It's, it's about rhyming of ideas rather than rhyming of sounds. And there's three really important literary devices that are helpful to be aware of when we're reading Hebrew poetry. And they've got some really unhelpfully complicated words. So the first one is uh, parallelism. Now, parallelism is that sense of uh, taking an, a concept and either comparing it or contrasting it with, with something else. There's lots of different types of parallelism. Uh, but the, the, I think one of the best examples is, is in Psalm 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. So listen to this. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. So let's, let's talk about that. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. So he's saying that. Uh, he's going to make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So this is uh, a, a type of parallelism, parallelism where he's saying the same thing twice effectively. Did you notice that? I'm going to say it one more time. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. And then he's saying kind of a very similar thing. Uh, 
and the ends of the earth your possession. And in the next one, he does the same thing. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and then in the next line, and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. So we're, we're saying pretty much the same thing twice. And, w- and what Hebrew poetry does is emphasize things by repetition. So you might be reading uh, passages of the Old Testament and think, oh my word, will you stop repeating yourself? But that's, that's a feature of Hebrew poetry. Um, now, parallelism is much more complex than that. And it, I don't think it's worth going into that at this point, but just get used to this idea of rhyming of ideas. You see, you know, dashing them into pieces like a potter's vessel kind of rhymes in terms of an idea with you shall break them with a rod of iron. We're talking about dashing something into pieces and breaking something with a rod of iron. You see, that's parallelism. And sometimes they'll they'll contrast opposite things as well, or there's a few other types. There's lots of different types of parallelism but that is beyond the scope here it actually if you go to the simple faith podcast website so at simplefaithpodcast.com uh, we'll put some information there uh, so you can uh, get, dig into that in more detail if you're interested but that's beyond the scope of this podcast so that's parallelism and then there's chiasms Now, chiasms is another word that you think well hang on what is that about chiasms are really really interesting uh, it's it's like uh, what happens is you take an idea, A, and then a different idea, B, and then a different idea, C, and then you kind of go back, to back to idea B, but slightly different, back to idea A, but slightly different. And that could be as many alpha- letters of the alphabet as you want. So it could be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, F, oh my word, E, D, C, B, A. And it's like a triangle. It's kind of like, a, and, and what it what's happening is they are, repeating certain ideas and uh, trying to communicate something through that sense of repetition. And, and it's stunning because they often put the key idea in, in the middle, in the point of that triangle. Let's, let's go through an example in Matthew 6, 24. Let me just find it. Uh, in Matthew 6, 24, there's a really cool example of Jesus speaking in a chiasm using what's sometimes described as a chiastic structure, which starts to sound a little bit intellectual, if you ask me. So Matthew 6, 24 says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's talk about that. So section A, the beginning of that pyramid, would be no one can serve two masters. And then it's repeated at the end, where it says you cannot serve both God and money. So that's section A with the A repetition. No one can serve two masters. And then at the bottom, you cannot serve God and money. Section B, either you will hate the one. And then section C, and love the other. And then section C repeated, or you will be devoted to the one, section B repeated, and despise the other. Now, to describe this audibly is really hard. So I really would encourage you to go and take a look at simplefaithpodcast.com and you can see this, see how that looks. It'd be much easier, but it is amazing. Chiasms are kind of like trying to find Waldo or Wally, depending again on those cultural differences and which country you're in. Uh, It's easy to miss unless you're specifically looking for them. So Lee Anderson Jr. argues actually that the whole uh, of the Noah account in Genesis 6 has a chiastic structure, which is crazy and i think there's good argument i'm not sure personally but that's crazy if that's true there are chiasms throughout the whole of the bible using um this kind of form to emphasize the key point Uh, it's really hard to to show that sometimes 
Um, but so there's parallelism and then there's chiasms and then there are acrostics. So in the English language, we know all about acrostics. That's where you take, you know, some letters or you form a, form a word or something like that. And then you have uh, a line or a word associated with each letter. So let's come up with an example. You, I, I can see Lila, our cat over there. Uh, so we might have the word cat going down vertically and you might say, can Lila do anything but sleep? Then A, another cat might sleep less. And T, to be honest, I'm not sure if I love this cat or not. I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, that would be an acrostic. <laughs> Just making this up as I go. But um, it's not really very poetic, but that was what an acrostic was, is. Um, and in, in Hebrew, they do the same thing. A great example is Psalm 119, which is a ridiculously long psalm. Uh, but that uses this acrostic structure. The problem is we wouldn't see that in our language because obviously we don't speak Hebrew. So if you were to open your Bible to Psalm 119, what you would see are some, some notations around it. I'm just turning there now where that says uh, it's got Aleph. And then after a few uh, verses, eight verses, it says Beth. And then a few verses, it says Gimel. And then Daleth and he and war. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But what we've got there is this psalm is following the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's amazing. And there's a few other examples as well. Again, go to simplefaithpodcast.com for some more in-depth look at that. But that essentially is what is going on. So let's talk about the Hebrew poetry books. We don't have much time, Sharia. Oh boy. So let's blast through this. So obviously... Hebrew poetry is littered throughout the Bible, but there are some books that are actually all poetry. It's all dedicated to what we call the Old Testament poetic books, which is what we are getting to today. This is what this podcast is all about. So we have Job. Tell us about Job. Okay. Um, well, Job, we think it might be one of the first uh, books of the Bible, but we're not sure. So don't don't take our word for it for sure. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but basically it follows this man named Job um, and he goes through a really tough time. It's just a book that deals basically with suffering and how do we deal with um, loss and, and um, things that go badly in life. Yeah, it can be a bit of a drag during the middle of that book when it gets kind of down to some yeah. of the, the discourses, but the end is phenomenal. I remember reading it for the first time as a new believer and getting goosebumps. It just blew me away uh, hearing God talking to Job and some of the things he said were just stunning. So then that's Job. And then we've got the book of Psalms. What's Psalms all about, Sharia? Well, if you open your Bible just to the middle, basically you will most likely find yourself in Psalms. But these are basically... Um, yeah, just songs full of emotion and descriptive language. A lot of it was written um, by King David. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, and it, yeah, it's just people expressing themselves through poetry and through these songs that they write. Yeah, you hit on something really important there, actually. So apart from Job, uh, pretty I mean, the vast majority of the poetry and the prophets uh, happen during the period of the kings. So we talked about that in the last podcast, if you remember. Uh, we talked about how, you know, there's, there's that, um, we finished the period of the judges and then we go to the kings. So there's 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 uh, Kings, 2 Kings. And then there's that period of exile. And then there's Ezra, Nehemiah and uh, Esther. That's where the vast majority of the poetry and the prophets come from. And most of the Psalms come from that period too. And like you said, most of them are written by King David. Um, and the Proverbs 
that follow are mostly written by King Solomon, so David's son. There's obviously proverbs from other people as well, uh, but it predominantly written by King Solomon, one of the wisest men to have yeah. ever lived. So what about the book of Ecclesiastes? Yeah, this one is one that I think I forget about a lot, but it's this um, just this book about finding meaning in life. This, I don't know, this king, lots of people think it's um, King Solomon, which it, it could very well be. Um, and he's at the end of his life and he's just reflecting. And and um, I guess if you wanted to sum it up is is that what he concludes is to fear God and that that meaning is found in God. It's a powerful book. Yeah. And the last book we're talking about is Song of Songs. Ooh. The raunchy book. Uh, Song of <laughs> Not Songs. allowed to read it till you're like, what, 16 or something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So Song of Songs is the one that's known as like the courting book between possibly Solomon. We think it was Solomon and his wife. We Before they got married and then it shows uh, that life as they get married. It's kind of famous for its kind of talking about sex. Very so descriptive language, but like very language that you wouldn't really understand today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, it's that idea that we talked about before, you know, the, the rhyming of ideas rather than rhyming of words. Like so put it this way. If I said to Shreya some of the things that were in that book, I would, I would get, not be flattered. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But when you understand what the metaphors are getting at and what he's saying, it's actually really beautiful. Yeah. But I would recommend reading that one with a commentary or something like that, or, or a, uh, you know, going through a book, going through something that can help you on YouTube. Because if you first read it, you might think this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's the Song of Songs. So those are the books in the Old Testament poetry section of the Bible. We did it. We did it. So let's summarize what we've talked about today. So we've talked about how Hebrew poetry is vital in the Bible because it fills over a third of its pages. It's in pretty much every book. And basically, if you open your Bible and you find it indented, well, that's Hebrew poetry. Um, often because it uses one of three, or maybe maybe more than one of three, uh, features such as parallelism, chiasms, and uh, acrostics. Now, it's a lot more complex than that. I'm not going to pretend it's not, but we are talking about it in a very short amount of time. And we talked about the Old Testament poetry books, which are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. And we didn't do it justice. We didn't give it the time that it deserves. Remember, go to simplefaithpodcast.com to find a whole bunch of information from these lectures that we did uh, a little while back. So Sharia, time for a game. Yes. So because we are talking about poetry today, naturally, we are going to do some poetry of our own. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, what, is that? what do you mean? Well, so basically, we're going to really simplify it. But the game is one of us is going to start and we're going to come up with a phrase. It could be anything, just a simple phrase. And the next person then has to come up with a new phrase with that rhymes basically with the, the one before. Oh, so, okay. you know, really uh, deep poetry yeah. rhyming. And literally the opposite of what we were talking about, about how Hebrew poetry <laughs> is rhyming of ideas, not rhyming of words. So we I don't think that I could think of a chiasm on the spot. <laughs> yeah, so true. Okay, so we're going to take it in turns, right? You'll yeah. do the first line and yeah. then I'll do the first line. I can line do the, the next first one. line. Yeah. Let's make it Bible-based. Right, okay. Know, thematic. Okay, so my first line is... 
I tell God all about my emotions. But at church, I mostly get stuck singing the song Oceans. <laughs> good job. Yeah, that's a good one. Great. I think, you know, if you were inspired by, you know, I said I didn't like poetry. I think maybe my mind will change after this game. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay, my turn. I like to read the book of Luke. And when I leave the house, I wear my toque. Uh, no one's gonna know what that means okay but it's a hat let's just remember, it's a hat canadians call their <laughs> kind of hats slash beanies toques um but then they'll tell me off okay but it rhymes like, oh, beanies aren't the same and thing. that's the point duke okay. and luke cool you're ten okay <laughs> um okay um at this point i'm gonna put some epic music in the background now great yes um okay the pastor teaches me lots of scripture. But I prefer to look at pictures. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's bad. I don't. I don't prefer to look at pictures. <laughs> it's okay. Some people, that's how they learn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Your turn. Jesus is the way, life, and truth. Thank goodness, because I lost my tooth. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. It's profound. Deep. Cool. Well, that's it. That's our game for today. Maybe you can have a go. Do you have any good rhymes? Maybe you can come up with a rhyming couplet to win them all. Maybe, okay, here's, here's one for you. Maybe you could review this podcast on Apple Podcasts with a rhyming couplet. <laughs> I would be so proud to see that. If you can do that, then that's amazing. That's it from us today on the Simple Faith podcast. Tune in next week as we attempt to tackle the prophets. 